being ready at every point in time. The little light that we start, we don't know how much of an inferno it can become. So we have to stay consistent. We have to show up every day. Consistency and focus will take you further than you can ever imagine. It might not be fast, but it will be far. Welcome to the Limitless Journey Podcast. Here we share the inspiring stories of young people who are making a real difference in their communities. We hope these stories of change and transformation motivate you to take action, live your best life, and also achieve your dreams. I'm your host, Success Yole Areveso, and I'm beyond excited to take you on this journey with us. Let's dive in! Hello everyone! Welcome back to another episode of the Limitless Journey Podcast. In this episode, I had a fantastic conversation with Oluwa Mayowa Tijani, a development journalist, multi-award winning public speaker and one of Africa's finest fact checkers. He is a graduate of the University of Ibadan, the Nigerian Institute of Journalism Lagos, and he holds a master's degree with distinction in media practice for development and social change from the University of Success via the prestigious UK government's Chivening Scholarship. This episode is a powerful reminder of the importance of stepping out of our comfort zones and unleashing our potential. Through his inspiring journey as a trailblazing student and writer, he sparked conversations in the National Assembly and had the opportunity to speak with prominent figures like Ngozi Okonjo Iwela and Bill Gates. His impactful stories have led to the transformational change in the lives of others, serving as a testament to what we can achieve when we push ourselves to be the best. So what are you waiting for? Let's dive in. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. <laughs> thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on board. Um, I, I definitely want to do this. That's our energy is matched. So how are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just hanging in there. Yeah. I think it's also the same for me. I'm having like a slow morning. Um, started the day great. But everything is just going on a very slow pace. And I'm excited about that. So, yeah, I think I'm also doing great as well, too. But I would like to ask this question before we start our conversation in proper. What's one thing that you've always wanted to learn, but you've not gotten the chance to do so, beyond the fact that you are an award-winning journalist and then you have so many years of experience doing the work that you actually do? Yeah, so that's, that particular question is really interesting in that. Just just thinking about it right now, and one thing I've wanted to do for a while now that I've not gotten a chance to do it is to learn a second language. And this second language in this sense has to be French. Um, a lot of people, a lot of us, especially people in my generation, we were taught French in secondary school, junior secondary school. And we sort of despised it. We did not, we, we didn't see any reason as to why we needed French. Why do you need to learn French and all of that? 
And so immediately we got the chance to drop it, maybe SS1, SS2. We just dropped it and that's the end of it. But one of the things I've come to find out as I journey through life is that um, for a country like Nigeria, all the countries surrounding us are French-speaking country from Nigeria Republic to Cameroon to Chad to Benin Republic, all of them are speaking French. So um, just learning French generally opens you up to more opportunities within the sub-region. And then it also opens you to more opportunities across the world. There are over 300 million French speakers across the world. Wow. A lot of countries in Europe speak French. And if you are to go to Canada, a lot of countries in Canada, a lot of provinces in Canada also speak French. In fact, if you are applying to go to Canada today, if you are a French speaker, you get an advantage. And so th there's a lot that French would do for you. And of course, if you've ever had the opportunity to watch someone code switch from English to French and French back to English. You just see there's a, there's a different kind of um, flex, I'm calling that, to it. So yeah, that's something I really want. I, I started I started learning um, in February 2020, but it was a fiscal class that I, I enrolled for. And then the pandemic came, there was the lockdown. Basically just messed up with my plans and shut, shut things down. So yes, that's something I definitely would like to learn once I have a chance. Wow. That's that's really nice. Thinking about it, it was when you were even sharing that I realized that Nigeria is actually surrounded by um, French-speaking countries. And speaking about language, I, recently I realized that I'm fascinated about the Yoruba language. So <laughs> for some weird reasons. And I don't even know why. I think maybe it stems from the fact that I like listening to Yoruba songs. So like Yoruba and um, worship songs in quotes. So I right. just want to like learn how to listen um learn Yoruba so that I'll be able to when I'm listening to the songs, I'll be able to maybe get the meaning myself without going to Google to look for the lyrics and yeah. translating. Yeah. Yes, and translating to English or maybe reaching out to my friends to help me to translate it. But I feel learning a second language is a huge flex. And if it is French, French yeah. French is a universal language. That's a very, very huge flex. I actually agree with that. But do you, do you think it's something that's actually difficult to, to, to learn? Like for me, I want to actually learn Yoruba. Do you think it's difficult for me to actually learn Yoruba? So I, I and I, I, some people don't agree with me, but I generally think that some people, are, some people pick languages easier than some other people. Um, for people who pick languages easier, I think that it's not that difficult for people. So I have a friend who learned French in a year and she's very proficient in French to the extent that she wrote her thesis in French. What? So, and you can imagine from going to know French to writing your thesis in French and she's had the opportunity to work for two French speaking companies. Wow. And basically it just makes her more valuable within the industry anywhere she goes because, oh, you speak French. Okay, can you interface with this and this? And they just find more value in your work and what you do and the, the, the opportunities you can get, especially within the Ecuador sub-region, just increases dramatically. So yes, um, it's not that difficult, but uh, maybe for, I, I think I'll put myself in the category of people who are not very quick in learning a new language. Might be a little difficult, but of course nothing is impossible. When it comes to um languages generally my recommendation is that 
we should teach them to children at a very young age. If I have my way, my children would speak at least five international languages before they are five. What? <laughs> and yeah, for them, it's not going to be difficult because they don't, just the way we learned English or the way you learned your bra for someone like me, yeah. I made no conscious efforts. I was just born into it and I listened to people around me and I began to speak it. So imagine if they were born into five different languages. They are learning English in school and speaking Yoruba to them at home. Um, a teacher is speaking French to them repeatedly. Place of worship, they are learning another language. Like if they can just speak it like that, before you know what's happening, they start speaking all the languages, all those languages that they pick up. So I think that for me and maybe for the people, like for this new generation of people who would become parents, I think one of the best things we can do in parenting is also to teach our children many of these languages. For me, I'm I'm like I'm in love with your language. And I would pride myself as someone who understands language very deeply. But I would be successful if I can transfer that dexterity with the language to my children. That would make a lot of sense for me. I, I think I agree with that. I agree with that sentiment. <laughs> because to be honest, I, I, I don't think that it would be nice that the only language you know how to speak is just English or just maybe the kind of, uh, what do they call this word now? The official language in a particular country or wherever country, that you're, yeah. Yeah, you're brought up. So I think I agree with that because the only language I can speak right now is just English. My pidgin English is not even fluent. It's very weird. It's not even fluent at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's just only English. And I would, I would really put in so much effort in learning how to speak Yoruba, even though that's not where I'm from. But I would just try to learn it. But yeah, thank you so much for sharing. We've talked about um, languages and learning processes and everything. But I'm actually more curious as to what your um, childhood experiences was like. And did you ever think that all those things you experienced as, as, a, as a child set you up for greatness and probably maybe contributed to the work that you are doing as a journalist in the development development space? And how has that been for you? How did that impact your journey in general? So, um, one since we are talking about languages, let me use the opportunity to train one Yoruba proverb. Um, they say, Ola Bata, um, basically, what it means is that what makes it easy for a river to flow is the kind of soil, so to say, that lies beneath the river. If the if the soil or if whatever was beneath the river was had resistance it would be such that it would be difficult for the river to flow. And of course, the second part of the proverb says, it is the, the wealth of the father that makes the child boast or struts amongst life or colleagues. Um, basically, I would say that, yes, uh, our childhood, the experiences had, they have a very strong way of defining who we become and what happens to us basically in life. Um, there's this thing that people say that um, some people become accidental success and all of that stuff. 
Personally, I don't believe that anybody becomes an accidental success. I think that for everybody who is successful in life, no matter how stupid they look or no matter how smart they seem, everybody in life is a product of a series of events that many times is beyond their control. So, for example, I have a niece who, by the virtue of where she was born, she can travel to 180 countries today without a visa. I also have uh, cousins who, by the virtue of where they were born, can only travel to maybe 20 countries without a visa. What did both of them do? to have those kind of fits, nothing. They were just born to a certain kind of life or a certain kind of family. Mm. And it's one of the things that I consider to be somewhat unfair about life. But of course, like they say, it is what it is. So mm. for me, yes, there were a few experiences in my life that influenced who I have become. I think the first would be my parents, my parents being who they are. Um, my mother was it my mother was a teacher. My father used to work in the civil service, so to say. And what that meant is that education meant a lot to them. And so they did all they could to make sure that we got valuable education. And in the process of getting valuable education, you get opened up to a lot more opportunities than if you did not get that education. That's then I also had the opportunity of moving around the country. So I was born in Oyo. I had my first few years in Benue State, Makoti, then to Benin, and then Lagos, and then Oshobo, and then Ibadan. And then, you know, around the country at different times. One of the things that that showed me is the diversity that our country had. And the secondary school I attended, which was an Air Force school, also was the kind of school that we had... We were our, in every class, we were 40 people, 40 max, 41, 42 in every class. And for every class, there has to be one person from one state of the federation. So there has to be someone from Oshun, someone from Benue, someone from Bonoma. So in our classes, it was sort of a match, a match of the entire Nigeria. So it sort of gave me insight into the possibility that this country was all about the the kind of people that existed in different parts of the country, what it meant to them. My first interaction with the Hausa culture had to be in my class. So basically, this sort of opened me, made me more open-minded about what was possible in life. And of course, getting into the university, I chose to study a certain course and in the course of my university years, I had some setbacks and those setbacks were sort of the, should I say, the building blocks for what I have become today. So generally, like it is for everybody, we do not happen by chance. It is the events of our births, the events of our upbringing, the family we are born into, sort of defines who we become and what we become in society. So yes, for me, I think a lot of all I have become has been as a result of the experiences I've had as a child. And what's that for me was when you had mentioned, you noticed that we had a diversity in our country. And I was like, hmm, that's true. When we're talking about diversity, most times we always try to, you know, link it as to maybe different countries, different people from, you know, 
diverse backgrounds from different countries but i didn't actually internalize that we could we have that diverse you know that um, we had that diverse um, community here in nigeria as well and also the fact that you talked about family um families series of events and chances i think i agree with that so and that's something i was also sharing with someone recently as well too that but i was relating it to the theme of comparison in the sense that when people want to compare themselves with other people they forget a lot of factors and i believe one of the major factors that whenever i remember is background where you're coming from because if so two, yeah. two, two different persons can have the same background so if I'm in Nigeria. I was born and raised up, raised in Nigeria. I can't compare myself to someone that was born and raised in a developed country and have like so many access to opportunities than than I do. And also based on the kind of like finances that they also have, as opposed to myself. So when I realize that, I just tend to like push myself away and say we don't have the same experiences. So I can maybe what can I learn from their situation? And if it is something that I don't even want to learn from it, I just move on. So I actually like how you you you've internalized the experiences and it was something that i can actually like relate with and the fact that you said you don't believe in accidental things happening to people i also i i also agree with that statement as well too because some people just look at others and just say oh they are just lucky <laughs> yes there's no such thing as being just lucky so um there's there's this book outliers by malcolm gladwell that book basically highlights how life happens. It's one of the most profound books I've ever read. And one of the things he found was that if you were born into a middle-class family between, I think, 1950 to 1956 or thereabouts, you were going to become a tech billionaire. Like, imagine someone saying that to you. You say, like, what, what sort of nonsense is that? How do you come to that conclusion? But when you when he digs down into the details, you find that it is there. So number one, you were born at a time when the computer revolution was about to take off. Now, by the time you are in high school, like secondary school, towards the end of the secondary school, that's when access to computers became available in certain places. And by virtue of that, you had the first hand opportunity to interact with computers. And so things that were previously impossible start dropping in your mind as possible. And of course, this was how Bill Gates was made. This was how Paul Allen was made. This was how Steve Jobs were made. This was like there's a whole number of them that were born in that same space to that same kind of family. So at that same time, and they went on to become tech billionaires just by virtue of. Now, when you look at their lives individually, you think that, wow, this guy was just fortunate. This happened. This was lucky, blah, blah, blah. But when you look at their lives as a whole, you see that the same things happened to them. Born to middle class family, had opportunity to go to school. In school, had opportunity to see a computer, spent some time with the computer. Time was changing and thought about what you could build with it and boom. That's how they made their fortune. And the pattern, the story does not change for any of them. It was the same thing. So you only get to see it if you look at it as a whole. In fact, he went as far as there was another example that I was looking at. And what this example found was that people who were born in January, February, no, 
the most successful, I think it was maybe basketballers or, or footballers. I think it was basketballers. The most successful basketballers in, I think, Canada and the US, North America, were born in January, February, or March. And it seems insane. Like, how do you say the month somebody was born is the reason why they are successful? It doesn't make any sense. But when he explains it, you see that there are a lot more influences. So, for example, to start school or to start um, basketball training, I don't think it was basketball, I don't remember the sports now. To start training on that, let's say basketball, for example, start training on basketball, you had to be maybe nine years old, for example. Now, people who were born in January would become nine before people who were born in September, for example. So when they are nine in January, they can join the basketball team. Mm. They would have played for like some nine months before the guy who is born in September can join the basketball team. So by the time the guy who is born in September joins the basketball team, they already have a nine-month head start. So they have more experience, they have more speed, they've had more time training. And all of that. So by the time the selection for who represents the school at maybe high school level or college level, they are ahead. And so by virtue of that, they go on to become national champions. Of course, because they trained, because they learned, because they did all that. But the very first thing that set them up ahead of everybody else was because they were born in January, February, and March. So things as little as that actually go a long way in affecting our lives. So when people say, of course, we have a lot of role to play in our own successes, but yeah. beyond the role that we have to play, there are other things at play that are beyond us. Yeah. That's true. Um, and also to contribute to what, what you said, there's there was, there was this quote I heard a preacher said, he said something about you are, life doesn't just happen to you, you are as a, what, yeah, as a result of the decisions that you make something like that like everything that happens in your life at a particular point would be as a result of the decisions that you've made part time or probably maybe the steps that you've taken you know towards that particular time so in the midst of trying to say oh maybe some people were born in luck or whether some people were not lucky they still also had their own times their own you know things to play and um, their, yeah. Yeah, their own parts to play. And I also like like the fact that you've talked about um, there are things that are beyond your control <laughs> that you can actually not control because you're not the one that will choose where you're supposed to. You're not, you're not, you don't have the um, ability to choose your family. You don't have the ability to choose your country. You don't have the ability to choose any of all these things. But there are the things that actually you know, happen to you. But funny enough, this is a very unique way on answering childhood experiences question. <laughs> Thinking about it now, this is the most unique response I've actually gotten in a while. Thank so, you. Yeah, this is a very unique way to actually, you know, um, answer the question. And I and I like the fact that it's actually getting me to think. And you know, just say, mm, I actually like agree with agree with that. And I, I think I will look look forward to maybe getting the book that you actually mentioned. It has a, a lot of you know things that I would want to learn from. Yeah, me. there's a lot to learn in the book. Yeah. Okay. All right. So thank you so much for sharing. And also to to add, um, when you when you talked about at the beginning part, when you talked about, you know, 
the challenges that actually formed. You talked about the fact that you went to school and you chose a particular course. And then those challenges you faced as a student kind of like formed the person that you, you, you that you are now more like they contributed to forming who, who you are now what were those challenges and did you ever for once think that you would you know become a journalist was it something that you did intentionally or it just happened to you because i've read so many people that are working in this so many stories of people that are working in this space it's something that just you know happened to them that stand out of passion they realized they, they had the passion for storytelling you know for writing and you know, documenting things so they just decided to just follow follow down that path so how was it for you was it something that happened during your time as a student where you have always known this known this fact okay so i i got into the university to study food technology and um that was what i wanted at the time or that was what i thought i wanted at the time and so in my second semester, first year, second semester, I took ill and I was basically admitted to the, at the hospital. I was at the hospital for a month and that month happened to be like towards the end of the semester. So I missed all my tests and I missed um, some exams. So by the time I... By the time this was happening, I had my parents had sent a letter to the university basically to defer my admission so that I can start again the following year. But because of bureaucracies in the university, it took forever for that letter to get to the people that would approve the um, deferment of admission. And so um maybe fortunately or fortunately fortunately actually there was an astro strike in that particular year and it went on for four months so within that four months i had the opportunity to recover um some of the exams were not written and all of that anyway we're done for master strike school is to resume i get the medical report from the hospital to rewrite the exams and the test i had missed so i took this um I took this medical report to one from one lecturer to the other, basically asking to write to write um, assessment test and to write missed exams. But everybody basically turned me down, like every single person turned me down, every one of them. And it was the last person I met. I remember it was chemistry, it was uh, I think organic chemistry, chemistry 177 UI at the time. And this professor basically took my medical report, looked at it, and said, this is not the cause of my problem, that I should get out of his office. And it was in that instance, I felt some level of anger. I felt, I felt many things, I felt many emotions, but I left the office and felt this basically does not make sense. This cannot continue. And so I decided that I was going to write the rest of the exams and I was going to... Um, well, pretty interesting. Long and short of the matter is that by the end of my first semester, 111, I was in the first class, so... I was one of those guys who was like, ah, this first class, we, we would take first class together in this university. 
But of course, based on the events of the second semester and the exams I missed, so for example, um, GS 106, where I would naturally have gotten maybe an 80 or a 90, because it was a very relatively easy course. I had a zero. And, you know, a student has a zero, and you put, like, the zero there. Like, it, it just did not make sense to me. How do you not know that this person did not write the exam or this person did not write any assessment test and you give them like a zero. And this was a maybe three or four units course. So imagine the kind of impact this would have on my CGPA. And then all the other courses that I did not write all the um, what they call it assessment tests and then the exams and all of that stuff. So by the time my result was out at the end of the second semester, my results was looking terrible, like very terrible at the time. And so it was at that point that I decided that I can't keep quiet about things like this happening within the university. So that was when I started to write. And at the time, it wasn't even... um it wasn't even journalism as we know it now. Or at least I do not understand it to be journalism. It was just right. Just putting out what was happening, what you thought, how that affected you, how that affected people around you. You know? And just from those writings, just from those scribblings, it started getting clear to me that, oh, there might be something here. Um, I remember the first article I wrote. I wrote an article basically about one of the challenges I was having in school at the time. Um, I wanted to pay school fees and then I was on the queue for like three hours. Hmm. In those three hours, I was watching the cashier, the teller at the bank, count money. So she was counting money, you know, watching it repeatedly, repeatedly for over an hour. And in that moment, I had like a light bulb, light bulb moment that I realized that there was no woman on the Nigerian Naira notes, except the 29 notes. And the woman on 29 notes is at the back of the 29 notes. Not even just being at the back, she was just at the back, unnamed. Mm. So just by virtue of that, I decided to write about it, sent it to a number of national newspapers. Almost nobody took it, or almost nobody published it. But fortunately, Sarah Reporters published it at the time. And before I knew what was happening, it became a national conversation. And the people generally, it was actually presented at the National Assembly. Somebody brought it up at the National Assembly and they got talking about it. And then the CBN got involved. And then they started picking some of the women I recommended in my article for a new night. Of course, that eventually did not happen. There was some resistance left, right, and center. But just seeing that a 200-level boy in the corner of his room can write an article and the whole country is talking about it, it, it meant, like, it meant the world to me at the time. And, okay, one of the things that also happened at that time was that eventually the name of the woman at the back of the 29 Ladikwali, was now included in the 29 so it wasn't just, it was no longer a faceless woman that you just put at the back of a note. It was now Ladi Kuali. 
And basically, I felt like one small article in the corner of my room had led to this kind of thing happening. And so it was just clear to me that this was the path to follow. And yes, that's, that's how we got here. Wow. My God. I can't, I can't even imagine what your mind, all that has been going through your mind when all those lecturers were turning you down and refusing to allow you to take tests and to be able to make up. Yeah. It just makes me realize that our education system can be a bit messed up. And I don't know why. And funny enough, this problem still persists till now. Students don't still have access to their lecturers. It's still, you know, a very, a very annoying process in a way. Students are scared of their lecturers. They can't reach out to them if they yeah. stop with anything. They, they don't even have this engaging kind of conversation. Like we're in a class mm -hmm. to learn. Yeah. So like they don't even have that kind of relationship with their, with their lecturers. And it was even something that I experienced as a student as well too. Like there were, there were these comments like, I did education and chemistry at the University of Benin. But there were these comment, comments around, oh, you can't get access to lecturers. They're not going to answer you. If you get, if your results are bad, because they were like trends of, series where results were really bad so i had to buckle up a lot but one of the things that stood out that i knew I, that stood out for me at that point was i just decided to detach myself from the old lecturer being bad being evil kind of thing i just use the christian way and say this lecturer is bad <laughs> they will favor me oh so i didn't join it like i just consciously <laughs> just you know use that kind of like faith kind of game to do my own self in, in school or in the yeah. university, but it, it doesn't stop the fact that these issues still persist. And I, I know people that go through challenges like this. And I'm glad that I don't want to say I'm glad that all those things happened, but it, it, thank God they happened. Yeah, I think that yes, I think I'm glad they happened because it basically opened me up to another portion of my life that I didn't know was there. And I think he also sort of built me that I could make good any bad situation because really at the time, in fact, there are people in my class who were afraid that once result is out, mm. they would have to send me out of the school. We were, my class, we were, I think we were like 24. By the time results were out for the second semester, about 11 or 12 people did not have enough good enough results to stay within the faculty of technology so mm -hmm. some of them were sent out of the school some of them were sent to other departments that they consider easier departments where they think that they can function better mm -hmm. so just being safe from that kind of so for most of my courses the ones that i did not have see i was getting 50 45, 50. This particular chemistry I was talking about, I had 33. Was was the first F that I would have in the university. And it felt really bad, but it wasn't enough for, for me to not stay within the department. So yes, I stayed in the department. I think if you ask me, it was also probably the point where I gave up. I had convinced myself. Mm. That I was a good student, I was first class material. But the situation on ground had led me down this path. And so 
and I make quote unquote my first class life out of something else. And I, I think I did. I went on to become I won the campus journalist of the year award about three times within my last two years in the university. I represented the university at the national public speaking competition and I won the national prize, basically defeating people from some of the biggest schools around the country. Uh, um, in my class, in my, my department, I was finalist of the year. Um, in the university, I helped restart our literary and debating society, which when you look at it today, I'm really proud of how much progress they've made. So I believe that, and that's some of the things I tell myself, that those events, just all it did was to pivot me into another direction. Everybody in my department respects me that this guy is, this guy is brilliant. This guy knows what he's doing. But this guy is also very resourceful to the university. And I felt like that was a better life for me. So that experience was a bittersweet experience. It was bad in itself. But after it came something really sweet that's probably feeding me till today. <laughs> I like the last part. <laughs> that's probably still feeding, feeding you till today. That, that's true. And just makes me realize this quote that they used to say, turning your lemons into lemonade. Yes. So I just feel like that's what like um, fit that situation. And when you had mentioned about the Naira news, do you know this is the first time I'm actually hearing about that? I'm trying to even like find, <laughs> I'm sure many people will be curious. Like, do you, I didn't even believe it because I thought, I didn't even think about Naira notes in terms of even gender-based how did you even think yeah. about how did you even come they are really wired differently <laughs> how did someone even how <laughs> did you even think about well, it? I, I, I think just just standing there like just seeing someone so this lady was just read you know how they do it counting money counting count count so every time she flips i see a man's face flips see a man's face flips see a man's face flip. and that's how it works throughout and i'm then thinking that oh are you saying there's no woman on the Naira notes? And then I started looking at it. In fact, it's so bad that when they introduced uh, 1,000 Naira notes, they even put two men on the notes to more like say two heads are better than one, but two male heads, basically. You know, so I felt that was probably an opportunity to put even a man or a woman, a man and a woman, or two women, you know? And all that. If I check online, there are there are more cups of five thousand notes, which was discussed at the time. That they could introduce a five thousand note and put three women from the three major cultures in Nigeria, uh, from there and some could see Margaret um, Ekpo um, or something like that, and then one Haji Agambo from the north. So they they were actually samples of that that was made, but. Uh, a lot of there were a lot of complaints about inflation, how a new five thousand note was going to affect the market, and blah blah blah. And so they decided to shut it down. But what that does for me is that I believe that if there's a conversation about printing a new note tomorrow, it's going to be easier to pick up from where we left and say, Okay, now we need to have a woman on the note. Mm. So 
it, it, it just feels good basically that that's a really good way to actually put it because i i didn't even i didn't even think about it but when you mentioned it i was like that's true so i had to now check my post to see the naira notes that <laughs> way the available naira notes that i had in my post and i was able to see that that's actually true well yeah thank you so much for really sharing and your experiences are really incredible and it's a really strong story to see how we were at this particular point and it led you to where you are and to discover the discover all that things that you actually like which make, makes me realize that we humans we have we may have different interests at various points in our lives most times we not even know what those interests are so it's actually best that we actually do not box ourselves and, I, and at the point when you were sharing everything that happened to you you knew that oh you could actually you you wrote a particular article to just share your experience and you were like oh this thing could actually be something that was nice and you just decided to actually just pursue it and not say oh i'm a science student science student don't write <laughs> you know that kind of stuff and <laughs> just box yourself and say science student don't write the only thing they actually do is just think about um chemistry divide the s oh, yeah. and all of all those stuff that has to do with um chemicals and being energy and everything but you but you didn't let that stop you you just allowed yourself to explore the artistic side of you and to be honest if you didn't do that i don't think we'll be having this conversation today and just me trying to learn from yeah. you because yeah. you've done like you know amazing things in 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 in, in, in this field so you actually call yourself development journalist so what does that actually mean yeah. when someone when when you introduce yourself as oh i'm a development journalist what does that mean how is that even different from journalism in code like you know just being like a journalist so just like explaining to us maybe you may even inspire someone to actually pursue a career to become yeah. a journalist so so the thing is that the way journalism naturally works is or at least the way that we are told that journalism should work is that you don't influence the story you just tell the story as it is your business is to report the story so if somebody killed somebody your business is not to say that the person who killed somebody is guilty your business is to say a killed b and move on so that's pure journalism that's what journalism is about but um, for me I, I i'm not particularly out to report what has happened or what is happening or what may happen um i'm out to report um what is happening in the light of what is possible so for example um in 2015 the united nations found that one of the reasons why the millennium development goals did not succeed in some part of the world was because the media was not carried along and so before the start of the sustainable development goals there was a training for journalists across the world about the goals and so i happened i was fortunate to be part of the africa team that was trained at the time and basically what, what we were what was done at the time was that we were trained on how to understand development issues development stories and also be media ambassadors for the SDGs. And so um, 
when you, we report, okay, so for example, Bill Gates was in Nigeria, and one of the things he said was, Nigeria spends ten dollars. A Nigeria spends ten dollars per annum on every citizen on healthcare. Now, that in itself is what the journalists would, what the not normal journalists would report. Nigeria spends ten dollars per year for um, healthcare per citizen. Now, that kind of story does not have the context that can lead to development. So what I then would do as a development journalist is to say, okay, how can we use this story to drive a certain development narrative? So in that sense, I then look at it, okay, what's the average in Africa? So if we make an average of what African countries spend per citizen per year on health, what is it? And by the time I did that finding, we found that it was $31 per head for sub-Saharan Africa. So it means that most countries within Africa spend more, in fact, not just more times, three of what we spend on health. So basically showing that we spend less than we should be spending on health. As if that were not enough, I took it a step further to say, okay, how much does maybe a developed country of the world spend on health? And I found that the average in the US is $8,000. So where Nigeria spends $10 on one person per year for their healthcare, the U.S. spends $8,000. So we are not even spending up to 0.01% of what another country spends. So it basically tells us that we can not claim to have the same kind of health, health facilities. We cannot claim to have the same kind of health situations, the same kind of health services. And so basically what this is doing is calling our government, our um, service providers or whoever is a stakeholder to kind of think that, okay, how can we make this situation better? And so my duty as a development journalist is not just to report what is news, what has happened, is also to be able to tease out the implications and see what we can do differently going into the future. If that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Really <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we was even looking at it was like, oh, are you just writing on things about maybe just the SDGs alone and maybe just giving news about it? But the way you actually like explained it makes a whole lot of sense. So but which do you have a particular interest in any of in any of the SDGs or you just write general. I have I have particular interests. Um, yes, I'm a I'm a zero poverty guy. I naturally uh, poverty die. <laughs> like I naturally <laughs> do not like poverty. So yes, zero poverty is my grind. But much more than that, I'm also interested in quality education and. Basically, I, I, I believe like education is, is the, is the main, how do I say it now? Education is at the heart of everything. Quality education, go for, is at the heart of everything. 
Uh, I'm also particularly interested in goal 17, which is partnerships for the goal. I sort of believe that all the goals are important, though I feel like some of them are more important than some. If there's no poverty, for example, if we achieve zero poverty, mm-hmm. we are going to solve the problem of hunger. We are going to solve the problem of education. Because if you have enough social, um, financial muscle, you'll be able to handle hunger and do education. And that would almost guarantee well-being. So that's go one, two, three, four, sorted out. Gender equality is a little bit um, difficult, not difficult, but like it's a stubborn problem. Mm-hmm. And especially because of our culture and the how looking at the numbers, for example, the number of women in the National Assembly today basically tells you how far we are from achieving that. But I believe that partnership for the goals, if we can leverage on the strengths of different working parts of our society, it will be easier for us to deal with every other goal. So yes, those are the things that I'm very big on. And those are the things I've been focusing my energies on. Mm. For me, I advocate for quality education quality education testing as well too. So I share the same sentiment. I believe ed- education has, you know, a huge role and a huge, huge role to play in everything that we do. And it's the fact that most of these goals are kind of like intertwined as well too. So for those that are listening, we were talking about S- SDGs, it's called the Sustainable Development Goals. So you don't actually yeah. lose us at any point. So the sustainable development goals, they are like 17 in number. They are proposed by the, they were proposed by the United Nations. And we have like a set target of achieving these goals by the year 2030. And how we came about this whole conversation was that I had asked him a question about the SDGs. I should have talked about this first as regards to his work. And he's actually interested in zero poverty and also um, quality education. You can read more about the sustainable development goals on online to get more idea about them. It's a very interesting way for you to build your knowledge, your capacity as a young person and look out for maybe issues to solve in your community around the goals that interest you. Because yeah, we were having that question and I hope it answers your question. <laughs> so I just thought I should actually clear the air because I realized we're already talking about sustainable development. Yeah, we're already going to <laughs> I can understand you, but I, I know that some people definitely don't understand. But I like the fact that your experiences are actually in depth and that you you internalize them from the responses that you that you give. It shows how far you you internalize internalize them and you know how in depth they were they were to you actually. And it's really great to actually see. And I like the fact that I like how you actually explained what development journalism is all about. It's actually something that I'm saying, oh, this makes a lot of sense. How does it actually relate to my work? How does it actually relate to what I'm with what I'm actually currently doing? And how do I like improve myself and my capacity in that? And and the fact that you're able to take your time to actually explain it and just give different and multiple contests is actually really nice. So yeah, thank you so much. I think this is like a conversation rather. <laughs> this is not 
Uh, <laughs> oh, I think I'm actually enjoying it. This is more like a conversation because I'm actually like learning a lot from this from from this um conversation. And yes, well, I wanted to ask: At what point did you did you realize that you were going to just focus on just writing on issues around development relating to development, rather? Um. Okay. So I think it was twenty fifteen. Yeah, it was interesting. And at this time, I probably did not even have a name for it. So it was just... Okay, so what happened was that 275 men and girls were had been kidnapped by Boko Haram. And so there was a face-off between Boko Haram and the military. And somehow, maybe it was by battle or maybe it was by negotiation, the military was able to recover these 275 women and girls. And so they took them to a camp called Makwe Camp. is in... Andama State. So, as a young, curious, hungry journalist, I decided that I wanted to go and tell their stories. So, I wrote a pitch to my organization, Kikibu, at the time. And, um, yeah, they supported me and said I should go ahead with the story. If I knew what was happening, I'm flying from Lagos to Adamawa. It was actually my first flight ever. And then I get to Adamawa and I ask about these women and girls, where they are kept, blah, blah, blah. Eventually, someone, I found somebody to take me to where they were kept. This place was about two to three hours by Keke. Mm. And we were, there, there were times we would drive for 15 minutes straight and not see a single soul. Wow. And we just basically kept going. Felt a little scared, a little uh, giddy and all that. Eventually, we got there. And when we got there, I had bought some things that I was taking to them. So when I got to the gates, they said I could not go in, blah, blah, blah. I said I brought some donations for the people in the camp and all that. And so they were like, oh, let's see. And then they looked into it. They saw what I brought. And then they allowed me into the camp. So I entered the camp, I gave what I brought, I interviewed some of the women, I spoke to some of the girls, then that was basically the cause story I came to do. Now there was this man, him and his family, they were, he was selling homo, sweets, uh, biscuits, he was just selling stuff like that on the floor. Like he had like a cloth on the floor and this stuff was there and people were coming to buy from within the camp. I went to him and basically got talking with him. And then he told me, that I asked him how much his entire goods was worth. He said it's worth about 7,000. And that's just saying it, that he feels really good about it and all that. And I'm like, ah, ah what happened? Uh, he said that um, Bokram, he, he was, he's from Kogi State, but he moved to Adama very early in life. And basically, I started his life in Adama. He had a printing press. He was a really well-to-do man. He had a wife and I think three children or thereabouts. And then one day, Boko Haram struck, burnt his printing press, burnt his house. He said all he had that he left his house with was shirts and trousers. And they ran away from him and it's him and his family. And that's how they basically ended in the camp. So somebody who was really wealthy had been reduced to zero because he did not have anything. 
And so he said he came to the camp with 1,000 naira. And so he decided that that 1,000 naira, he was going to be invested in a business and then um, try to see how much profit he can make. So with 1,000 naira, that's what he started that his business with, selling sweets, selling biscuits and stuff. And he's been able to go it to about 7,000 And he basically said that he just wanted to keep serving the people in the camp and be feed, being able to feed his family and all that stuff. And I found the story quite fascinating, like having lost everything, maybe starting again, starting over again from the scratch. And then actually, if, if that was 1 million, now mm. that becomes 7 million. If it was 100 million, now it's 700 million, that kind of thing. So it was really fascinating to me. And so I decided... Be, apart from the story I came to tell in the camp, I decided to tell his own story. Now, when I told the story, um, fortunately, somebody somewhere saw the story and they were touched by it. And then they, they sent it to, I think there was one, Kogi Union. Uh, you know all this WhatsApp group for different extractions, different people and stuff. Yes. I think somebody sent it to one of those WhatsApp groups. And before I knew what was happening, they decided that they were going to donate some money to try to get him back on his feet. And then one of the people in the group happened to be working in the UN. And that particular person decided that, no, don't worry, the UN is going to um, resettle him and take care of him and blah, blah, blah. And they did, they went, they, then they called me to try and get his number. And then I gave them his number and then I told them about it. The day they went to meet him, to tell him about it, he was literally crying. Like it was, he was an old, like a middle-aged man was in tears. Yeah. And eventually they asked him where he would like to settle down. He said he wanted to settle down in Kaduna. So they resettled him to Kaduna and he started a business basically in Kaduna. Now, the whole point was that it was a story and the story was, was the word now? The story was just a normal um, story that you could have told as this is what happened in the camp, blah, 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 and just move on. But because I don't want to tell stories that are just new stories, I want to tell stories that can make situations better. My story was giving a tilt to say that this guy is making good out of his life and can be better if basically he got the kind of support that he needed. Mm. And that was what happened with that story. And I'm, I'm really, I was really grateful that that kind of thing could happen to his life. And even on the story I went, well, the story I went for, which was 275 million and girls story. One of the things I found in the process of interviewing and speaking and my whole experience was that the place was not safe. If I could come in without any clearance, without any security, just bring uh, food or whatever, and they let me in and I'll speak to people and I'll stay there for the whole day and stuff. That I wasn't um, safe and that because people knew where these women and girls were, that Boko Haram could come for them again. And so... Beyond the story I was reporting, I also made the recommendation that I think that the women and girls should be moved to 
an unknown location that is not public where they can take care of them. And that was also done. Fortunately, when they moved them, which felt good to me, like two days after, Boko Haram actually came to the camp and struck the camp, the people who were left in the camp. I think they said they killed about nine children. And that was painful to me. Mm. But I still felt good because it could have been worse. If, if they came and they met those 275 men and girls, they could kill more, they could abduct more. But that did not happen. So I just feel like we should not be doing stories just for the sake of, oh, this is an unusual event. Let's report it. Let's um, news it out. Let's start. Let's start thinking. In fact, there have been stories that when I even write, I would send like a an executive summary to some of the agencies involved. So if it's victim support fund, I can send them an executive summary that I went to so a place. I did this story. This is what I found. This is what I think should be done. And so, basically, it was from doing those kind of stories that the um, that I was even invited for the UN training. It was from doing those kind of stories that they're like, okay, this person understands or this person is interested in development-related issues. And so, yes, that's basically how I would say I got into it full-time. Mm. That's a very powerful story and experience. It's so funny that one thing, you went there for something else and look at the ripple effect that that took place. You know, you also shared the story of Obama and he was able to get asset, he was able to get help, you know, from not just anybody at all, but also from the United Nations, which is really, really huge. So I don't even have so much comment on it. I'm just here reflecting. I mean, you had mentioned that you 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 don't think stories should just be shared because oh, it's exciting and all of all that, or it's a unique story. But it should be as a way of you know creating awareness and also making recommendations as well. I also like added on my notes here yeah, because I have a new year with me, like recommendations, very reflecting, like in my work, you know, in with this whole podcast, the whole idea is basically just to share stories of young young people that I look up to <laughs> and people that I, I really love their work and I want to actually share their stories because I realize that nobody's actually sharing these stories and if we don't do that other narratives can actually come up there are actually young people that are actually doing amazing things in our community they don't necessarily have to be very popular but we have to actually share the story so it was just making me realize that how was the better was the best best way for me to reflect on my work what's the best way for me to actually put, put these stories out there and make people not see it as oh because podcasting quotes is trending so that's what it is the whole idea is Podcasting is just a tool or a way I want it to go. Yeah. But the whole idea is because I'm actually passionate about this and I just want to actually like share stories of young people. I feel like this conversation is like a a, <laughs> a clarity conversation because I don't understand how I'm like getting more clarity on my work, right? But yeah, thank you so much yeah. for this. Thank you so much for really sharing everything about what it means to be like a development journalist and how you really, I'm going to say it, how you really like internalize your process. Like you have all the facts, all the figures. Like if I ask you something, you're just giving me, oh, I went to this place. I had this fact and had these figures and everything. And when you actually shared about you having your first, you know, um, work trip, it was something that I could actually relate with. 
Yours was yet years ago. Mine happened recently. So I had my own first work trip as well. I think early this year. Oh no, yeah. two, two, two months ago. And during that during that um retreat I had with my team members, I was just literally reflecting on my work because what I do is as also results to oh I had proposed let's focus more on you ensuring that our stories our voices are actually heard on social media and just using social media as a tool you know to get to reach out to more people I just believe that as much as people are using social media in other ways it can also you know impact our work in the development space as well too so I just you know kept on you know proposing that and i also realized that most of my experience my volunteering experience also stems stem from the fact that i'm either i'm hosting a particular session or i'm moderating something or i'm helping them publicizing something or probably just around media and i don't even know why media and education so I, it was just something i realized you know recently so i, I want to actually ask that do you think um the emergence of social media has you know, impacted your work in any way and if yes how, how has that been and what your own personal reflections what do you think is the effect of social media use of social media in quotes in journalism yes i think that social media has actually impacted my work in so many ways that i can't even begin to wrap around everything now let me start with where do I start with? Um, let me start with. Um, okay, getting my first job. My first job. I got my first job from social media. Um, what had happened was I got out of school. Blah blah blah. Was at home for weeks, and my mother had began to send me um, on very weird errands. Um, Logan, Logan, Go and make my money. Go and wash all the plates. Make sure you do this before I come, you know? And I started feeling like, okay, uh, see finished on the entire this matter. And so I started sending Facebook DMs to all the people I'd worked with before, all the people I knew in the media. And basically was telling them that I'm out of school now. I'm available to work home. This is what I did in school. I was best um, campus journalist and be an addition to your team, you know, and all of that. I sent all those messages. Some of them responded, some of them did not. One of them invited me for a test in Lagos. And basically, that's how I got my first job. So, yes, social media in itself can be anything that we want it to be. So, for me, it was both first opportunity, first source of income, and then Beyond that, I would say that my second job was also from social media. Um, a tweet of a job opportunity someone shares with me that I now had this, that my third job on Twitter, there was somebody that DM'd me on Twitter and said, I'm really interested in XYZ. And there we go. So there's a lot of opportunities in social media, especially depending on how we posture ourselves, how we position ourselves, how people see us. When people come to your account, do they know that you can do A, B, or C? And if they have to make decisions based on things they see on your tier, what are those decisions going to be? So if you are conscious of those things, there are a lot of decisions we can make on that. Then on the second front, which is the work in itself, yes, yeah, social media has helped me a lot because 
social listening goes a long way in helping you determine what is happening. So as I'm speaking with you right now, I'm going to open Google Trends. Google Trends basically measures what people are asking Google and the conversations that people are discussing the most around whatever country you are in. So now for Nigeria, the, and this is always very weird. Sometimes you don't believe it. But people are, since people are discussing, or since people are searching Google Moose right now and this morning, is The Witcher Season 3. I don't <laughs> even know what that is, but that's what Nigerians are searching for. Um, Hijack series. I think I know Hijack series. I've been seeing a lot of ads about it on Twitter. So yes, that's social listening. Madonna. I don't know what happened to Madonna, but yeah. Apparently, a lot of Nigerians are searching for Madonna right now. Um, next one is psychedelics. I don't know what that is and why they are searching for it. Including and the last you. one. This is funny. Including you. I said. You said for it. Oh, you know, said you did. I did not search for it. Okay, I'm and the last one is the video. Uh, the videos will definitely be on top of that. Yeah. So, yes, the video is actually on top of this. It has the highest number of search. So, basically, that's social listening, looking at what we're talking about, why you're talking about it. If I wanted to dig deep into the data, I'll click on it. And then, so for example, let's even try David Doe. If we go into David Doe, why Nigerians are searching for it over the past days, the biggest search are coming out of Lagos, Delta, um, Edo, Oshun, Abuja, and Rivers. Then what they are searching the most is, sorry, let me expand this. What they are searching the most is, stay with me. Weird. Okay, and Tabang Twitter account. David Anita, David Anita Brown, Anita Brown, David Big Mama, Anita Brown, David Big Mama. So basically, um, it basically tells you what questions people are asking, why they are asking. So if you are someone who wanted a story that people would read, this is one of the things you should write about now. And a lot of people will read it because it means that it answers all the questions that they are asking. So if you're doing this, I did this maybe two weeks ago for the Naira, and I wrote some things about it. Everything I wrote about the Naira was the most read stories on, on the places where the story was published for that particular day. And that's like what social media can do for you. If you can aggregate what people are asking, what people are talking about, what people are discussing, then you can speak directly to the people. So because I know that those stories are going to be the most read or are likely to be the most read, I can put in a message there that directly speaks to the people. So I feel like understanding social media using the power of the data that I get from it goes a long way in influencing society generally. So yes, this is something that I, I feel like there's a lot. In fact, when I think about social media, I still know that I have not scratched the surface of how much mm. we can do with social media. But yes. Sentiment with you. I think I share the same sentiment with you as well. Because I feel like we also need to uh, position ourselves in a way whereby we see it as 
a way to you know improve the work that we do and also say oh we know it's very powerful but we want to like learn learn more about it learn more about everything that's currently going on in that space because i feel like new every day new new things come up every day new things come up and yeah. you just, you just it just makes so much sense and i like the practical illustration about the google trends it's very funny <laughs> about what nigerians are actually searching i i didn't even searching know for, exactly. searching for i didn't even so, know about stuff like that there, there was something i said about the elections when elections were about to go ahead i said who was going to be who i thought was going to win the election and who was going to be second and who was going to be third now people thought that that decision was based on maybe i'm interested in this candidate or that candidate but it was none of that. It was, I was every day I was looking at Google Trends. I was looking at questions people were asking. And because Google is anonymous in the sense that you can just pick up your Google phone, your phone and search, mm-hmm. make a Google search and go. Google does not write your name that you had one that search for XYZ. Yes. So because it's anonymous, people feel free to ask any question. And so, but Google is aggregating the data on what they're asking. And by doing so, it can tell the questions that people are asking the most. And so me, I was always looking at data. What are people asking most today? What are people asking most today? I told one of my colleagues that the day I decided that Sinubu was going to win the election, quote unquote now, because win is controversial, but the day I decided he was going to win the election was the day he made the speech about the Naira notes. Mm. When you check Google Trends that day, Everybody was searching what did Tinubu say about Nayanut? Uh, Tinubu's this thing about Nayanut. Uh, tell me more about Tinubu and Nayanut. Tell me this. Uh, so, what you would normally feel like people should be angry with him about, I uh, was his party that was designing the Naira and putting the people. People were actually asking sympathetic questions about what he said. So, and okay, let's, let's put it in more context. Peter B, on the other hand, is a more youth. The youth are highly behind him, and the youth are the ones who are on social media. So mm. you would expect that most of the searches from the youth would be about this candidate, but mm. that wasn't the case. And wow. if we know how Nigeria works, there are a lot of people who who do not have smartphones, do not have Google, do not have the internet. And a lot of those people are supporting that Tinubu article. And so you should expect that most of the trends on social media should be driven by Peter Obi for that reason. But they were not. A lot of them were driven by Tinubu. And so there was a time, okay, so even if you check now, there's still the dashboard. It's still there. Nigerian election dashboard is still there on Google. It's still there on Google Trends. And one of the things that it shows immediately you launch into it is the popularity. See, it has even changed now. Before it was some, it was always around 42% for Tinubu, 30% for B, and the rest for Article. But now it is 82% for Tinubu, 12% for Peter B. My God. So, but for somebody who has been looking at wow. this data for a long time, you will not even have a doubt. When people are saying this, that, 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 I know that the people are saying 
what people are saying on social media is a lot different from what they are asking Google in their anonymous times. And from what they are asking, you can make a more sound judgment of where they are on the whole thing. So I just feel like going beyond the surface level social media to trying to understand more of how it works, what data people are looking at, actually makes a lot of difference. So don't let me bite too much into that, but basically I feel like there's a lot more we can do with social media. Mm. This is this is really insightful to see the power of data playing here. I can't I can't even imagine that I can't even imagine what you shared happened because everyone was just in you know, the shouting about this particular candidate and everything and nobody was really backing up backing it up with data and facts and everything and now you are coming up to say oh people were saying is this particular person but the data was actually showing something otherwise i think that's that's another i think that's another reason why during the elections people um there were some things on social media that um that um the ruling party had hired the best people on ground to help them check the data trends and everything and you know, ensure that they follow up with the election process and everything just to just to see if their candidate is actually going to win and everything. But yeah, you talk about data in this in this contest and content that you've actually shared that is relatable relatable to us and to also the listeners is a really, really eye eye opening. And it makes me see things from you know from a different perspective and makes me um talk about what are like the skills that someone would, you know, also get or probably maybe learn on the job. You know, I'm just trying to just internalize and see how data is actually very powerful. Even beyond the storytelling, we've just opened us to another aspect. So I feel like those people that are like interested in journalism and everything, you're making this thing really sound interesting. You have literally sold your career. <laughs> you sold your career to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you also your career to all of us. And uh, this is even like the in terms of people talking about you said your career to all of us. You've had conversations with the top guys, top and influential influential people from the gates. You've, you've also mentioned it to you know covering stories around Ngozi um Ngozi country Willa and even on even on your youtube because i kind of like you preparing for the conversation i checked every on social media i just trying to ask myself what are like some of the questions that i wanted to ask questions beyond everything that you know had seen your work and everything yeah you are you've done you've done the work and it's actually there's a proof on it online to proof on it on everything that you've, you've done and also with conversations on chimamanda and Adichie. For, for me like has the experience been for you and you know something that then your own first time story now seeing that you started from school and turning your lemons into lemonade and you know having all of all this part it's more like you know you move you, you are just taking it step by step and just moving and moving and moving and now we are at this particular point and even these conversations it's not like very recent for people that are listening they're not like or not all of them actually recently they've happened like years ago but you've had the opportunity to like uh, yes. you know to to have conversations with all these people how did this make you feel and the morning of having these conversations but like some of the things that you did differently 
So I'm just interested in knowing how this has been for you. Maybe I'll get more tips. Um, on it yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think that um, meeting all these people and um, interacting with them, I think one of the things that he showed me as a person was that these people are extraordinary, but they are also ordinary. So when you speak to them, it just shows you that, okay, let me say Ngozi Kunjuvela, for example. Um, I've met Ngozi Kunjuvela on a few occasions um, in the US, in the UK. Uh, spoken online via Zoom in um, Geneva and a few other occasions like that. And one of the things you find about her is that she's extraordinary. She's also ordinary. She's like most of us, get a good education, put some good to work. And um, situations would show up that would be beyond your power. And in those times, you would have to make extraordinary decisions or extraordinary, take extra steps. So for example, when she was running for the president of the, or the deputy director general of the World Trade Organization, she had done almost everything possible that any candidate could do. Lobby, get this, get um, a letter from her president, um, get recommendations from the World Bank and all of that. She had done all of that stuff. But it still was not enough for her to become the DG of the World Trade Organization. It was clear to everybody that she was the most qualified, but the US was not backing her. Now, in that instance, one of the things I started thinking about was wait, this woman lived in the US for decades. One, why is the US not backing her? Two, um, is, it not, is she not... Okay, so the person the US was backing, she's from South Korea. And she does not have half the experience or the expertise that Kondriella brings to the table. But because she's an American citizen, she um, was the word. She was being the one that they were tipping for the position. So then at that point, I'm like, all this man needs to do is to get an American citizenship. And for someone like her, it's not going to be difficult because I'm sure she already has the time. She already has spent, I think you have to spend a certain number of years in the US for it mm -hmm. to become a citizen. So she has spent that time. All she needs to do is to take an oath and then she gets this citizenship. So she didn't, she hadn't at the time, but I think she was advised to, and she did it, and she became an American citizen. And before we knew what happened, the US says the person from South Korea should withdraw. And she was chosen basically for the role, and now she's digital. So now what that shows me is that she has been extraordinary, she has been extraordinary in her career, doing all that she needs to do to be, to get to the top of her career. But when he got to that point of making that decision, she could not do anything about it, quote and unquote. What I thought about in the corner of my room as, okay, this is the way 
to get around this problem was actually what was done. So in my opinion, that how that made me feel was that this is an ordinary idea from an ordinary guy like myself. And this was what sort of made the difference for her. So it means that what it shows me is that we actually don't need to be, have superpowers or anything. We just need to be dexterous at what we are doing one day at a time. And then we get to positions where things might get a little difficult. And in those instances, uh, you know, there's this thing that they say, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And the whole point, once you've done, so for her now, the hard work was working in the World Bank all those years and doing it as quickly as she could possibly do. And so when there was a question of, can she be considered as a US citizen? It wasn't difficult because she had done the work. So you would say that she became lucky and being able to become US citizen overnight and get such a top job. But no, she didn't become lucky. She had actually put in the work. So I feel like for every one of them, meeting Bill Gates, talking to Bill Gates, Bill Gates too is somewhat um, extraordinary and ordinary in that sense. Like I had mentioned earlier, he happened to be one of the examples in the outlier stories. All that he did was, he was born, and he says it, he says it in many of our conversations that I'm just fortunate. And that thing that he calls fortune is just that he was born in a certain country at a certain time and took opportunity of that, um, could I, I'll call it luck, but you know, it's not really luck. The opportunity of that luck to become the Microsoft billionaire that he became. Bill Gates was the richest man in the world for over 20 years. That's like the longest that we've seen in a really long time, maybe in, even in our lifetime. So they are extraordinary people, but they get to this point by ordinary small decisions here and there. So, yeah. That's how, that's how this whole thing basically works for them and for the rest of us. Okay. Thank you for sharing the tips. That's for me. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing, for sharing the, those, you know, those tips and how that experience has been for you. I like, I've had a very insightful conversation with you and it's, it's so funny that we've had a conversation on different topics. And we just, you know, kept on going and you just sharing easily what has worked for you, you know, what you think about some certain issues. It was it's more like more about like a very intelligent conversation. And it's really good because this is the first time I'm really, you know, looking at my work from a different angle. I just used to look at it like, oh, I'm just doing this, so it's fine. But I'm like really looking at it from a different angle and using a fresh pair of eyes to actually look at it. So it's giving me more. I, sorry, sorry to cut you. I, I also think that it's important to say that one of the things about this I work also is that um I think it was David Oedipo that said um in life you it's too late to prepare. You have to live prepared. I think that's one of the things that has helped me in my own career is being ready at every point in time. Many of the things, many of the people I've met, many of the opportunities I've had have almost been sheer luck or the world would consider it to be sheer luck, but it's just being in the right place, doing the right thing part time. So I reported the story 
about Bill Gates in 20, I think it was 2019 or 20, no, 2018 or 2019. Yeah. Was about Bill Gates. And it was a different angle from what everybody else within the Nigerian media reported. And they had to call me to say, uh, we, we saw your story, we saw, basically they sort of liked what I did. Now, it wasn't as if they liked it because it pleased them, because they actually did not please them, or something against them, sort of, but just the courage to be able to say the thing as it is, and then tease out what the problems are. So that's how they reached out to me and we basically got in conversations and basically maintained those conversations over the years. And before I know what's happening, they said they wanted me to interview Bill Gates. Now, I had imagined this happening as early as 2016. There was one day I was going to work and it just flashed my mind. And once things like that flashed in my mind, I entered the fantasy and I just teased it out. I was going to work that day and I was just imagining what the process was going to be like, what I was going to talk to, what I was going to say, blah, blah, blah. And basically, I'm just playing around with myself. Made me feel good. End of that, I got to the office, end of that thought, I continued my work. Fast forward 2020, they are calling me to say, they want me to have an interview with him. Where can we meet up, this, that, that, and all of that. And before I know, I'm having that. And in the process of doing that, it just becomes clear to me. Okay, so when the, eventual, the interview was eventually published, a lot of journalists reached out to me, a lot of veterans in the industry. How did you do it? How did you get them to speak to you? How did you shake me Who did you talk to? Like, there was someone that even reached out and said, and this person is really popular, I just want to mention them, and said that they've been trying to get an interview with him for seven years, and that they've not been able to that. How did I do it in such a short period of time? And... I could go ahead and say, oh, I did this, I did that, I did that. But that would be a lie. All I did was continue doing the job I was doing, the job I was employed to do, to the best of my abilities, to make sense to someone somewhere someday. So no matter how little it is, for example, the article I wrote about the Naira, I never knew that anybody would read it. Just wanted to put it out there for the record. And that if 50 people read it, I would find it. But it became a conversation at the National Assembly. The little lights that we start, we don't know how much of an inferno it can become. So we have to stay consistent. We have to show up every day that we need to. And somehow something is going to show up. Someone is going to mention your name somewhere. You're going to get a call. You're going to wonder where somebody got your number from. These are endless experiences that I keep having. And I just believe that. Yeah, I just thought to say that he's born. <laughs> no, that was really powerful. You know, everything that you actually shared was really, really powerful. And, and I could just, I think it was just perfect that you actually shared that because you, you talked about what it means to be, what it means for someone to always show up and to be prepared always. And regardless of, anything that's going on just continue showing up just keep on putting into work and you had said something that stood out that you know your work will make sense to some people to some other people it will not make any sense but just keep on keep on doing it and endless opportunities will definitely come out for you and i think that's like a major takeaway for me 
in this conversation as regards to having a new fresh pair of eyes to the work that the work that i'm doing so yeah thank you thank you really thank you so much for agreeing and for coming on board i feel like i've learned a lot from this conversation and it's it is so timely with the things that's currently going on in my own personal life as well so i just want people that are still listening to know that beyond you oh want to share the stories of people for me it's also like a learning learning curve learning learning phase as well you know having these conversations with people that have walked the path learning from their experiences and just trying to see how i can implement that as well and ensure that the mistakes that they made because they're also sharing that their challenges that challenges they face what made them get to the point that they are faster would definitely help us so i just hope we've been able to like get that as well if you are listening but yeah thank you so much and when you said if when you also mentioned something about the naira article that you wrote out just made me also reflect on the, the first time i published an episode on my podcast i was like i just want to just release it to just one person just let's just one person just listen to it and funny enough i don't really like the sound of my voice very weird <laughs> that, that's all of us i don't like the sound of my voice too very, i can't very listen weird. to myself for a long time and I am like, you cannot do a an interview because the only way I can do this interview is doing it virtually. I can't do a physical interview. I don't have the funds for that. I have to do a low cost, something that will not cost me any money. Right. Even, yes, the Zoom that we're using, my organization is the one that is funding it, really. So it's not even oh, my money. So it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's their own it's their organization. It's the organization Zoom and I just have one because I work with them. Right? So it's it has to be extremely low cost. The publicity materials I use is also their own as well too. So it just made me realize yeah. that I cannot do a video interview. And the mic I'm using, my sister gave it to me. Can you see how funny this is? <laughs> so I don't need, I need to create something that, so the first thing I came to my mind is I needed to create something that, that would not be a burden to me. So at the beginning, it was just like, I don't really like so many things. I don't really like the sound of my voice. I don't like this. I don't like that. But I just ensured that the thing had to be there. And this year, we had the opportunity to have like a physical conversation in this conference called African Nest. Um, I don't know if you, if you know of them. They do like this year, yearly, yes. year, yearly conference. Yeah. And they selected my podcast to be able to host a session on that. Day. And it was really amazing wow. to just see, to just wow. see, you know, happen and that was what prompted me to like say okay i'm going to actually continue and i've had like interesting conversations with good people and everyone funny enough everyone that i reach out to every single person i said you know what reach out to me later but nobody has bashed me or anything said no. or yeah. said no so i think that's like i felt at the beginning when i was reaching out because people were saying so that's why you're not reaching out to people that you actually really want to talk to because i was just in my comfort zone like Oh, I'll just have normal conversation with my friends. Like, you know, the way all this podcast stuff her. And I'm like, people are yeah. like, you, you said, what is the vision of what you, what you want to do? And I shared it with them. They were like, my friends are like, then go for it. The worst thing that I can get is a no. So I reaching out and sending mm, yeah. and Everybody was like, you know what? Send me a message later. Let me check my schedule. They'll give me dates. They'll send me their emails. I'm like, is this really happening? And I'll be like, it's a lie. <laughs> so I so I just feel when you had mentioned that particular article stuff, I'm like the first thing that I could get is just 
go ahead and do it. Whoever would listen to it, whoever would watch whatever you're doing or whatever would participate in your in your idea or whatever, they are there. Even if it is just one particular person that listens to it or one particular person that read it or one particular person that watch whatever that you are doing, it's valid because that's one of the reasons why you actually created whatever they are creating. So I think that was what stood out for everything that you actually shared and it was really, really profound. So yeah, thank you so, so much for sharing. Bubade, I think this, this episode would be the longest. <laughs> Thank you. I've taken so much of your time. Yeah, I think this episode is going to be the longest. So before we actually end this, because you've shared a lot from your experiences, you actually won the Chivney Scholarship, which is a big deal. Being uh, a Chivney Scholar is actually like a big deal. I don't know if, if you actually listen to this point, I think you actually have to like increase the volume of your of your uh, device that you're using. So I want you to like share your experience because I don't have a structured question around Oh, how did you know you were going to be in the scholarship and all of all that? But uh, how was that for you, generally, winning the Chivney Scholarship? How was it? Well, I would say that is one of the most transforming, life-transforming experiences I've had. Um, basically, opens you up to a different network of people, high achievers, people that wear dreams to you become your reality, basically. Uh, things that you considered impossible become possible. Uh, people that have 20 years more experience than you do, you suddenly become on the same platform as they are. And then, of course, the opportunity to meet people from all around the world was endless. So, yes, it's an incredible journey. And I definitely recommend it for every and anybody who is interested. Now, how I got into it um, was on this job, doing my job, basically, somebody had invited me as a friend to attend the Achievement Farewell event. Abhi evening is yeah, farewell. Going to the UK event, basically. So it was in Lagos. And so the person invited me to come along. Now, going with them, um, I I think I informed my boss I was going, I was going to leave the office early that day. My boss was not like, oh, where am I? Where am I? and my boss is like a friend, where am I going? Blah, blah. And then I tell him that oh, I'm going to XYZ. And then he's like, oh, that um, we were actually invited to come and cover the event. And I'm like, ah, that means I'm not going as a reporter. I'm going as somebody's date, that kind of thing. But then when I got to the place, I felt like, okay, maybe I could actually also still report it at the same time. So. In the process of trying to get information to report, I spoke to a number of the scholars who had been, who were going that year, I think it was 2015 or thereabouts. And in the process, and is, is, this is the kind of thing I feel when I speak to likes of Bill Gates and Kunjurala and stuff, additional, and is that these people are extraordinary, but in that extraordinary, you can also see that they are ordinary. So what I see in their stories is, okay, they are ordinary people who try to do a little more than their peers would normally do. And that was it. So it was, that was like the recurring thing in everybody's story. And so I told myself that that means this thing, I can actually get it. So I looked at them. Okay, so the person who I went with was a first class graduate from the University of Ecuador. Uh She's super smart. I'm the smartest we find. 
and I knew that she could get it. If I, I was the kind of person who say to her that you get it, you get it. But I, what that also meant was that I knew I could not get it because I didn't think I was as smart as she was. And of course, I didn't have a first class. So I was always disqualifying myself, which is one mistake that many intelligent people make. We second guess ourselves a lot. And so we cut ourselves out of many opportunities. But just being able to interact with all these people, report their stories, it sort of made me know what the minimum level of what was necessary was for that scholarship. So I already now knew that you needed two years of experience working. I already now knew that you needed a good result. I already now know that you need leadership and influence. You need to be able to prove that you are a leader in your field or a potential leader in your field and that you have some influence in your field. And you need to be able to use networks very well. And so I gave myself a year to say within this next year, I was going to learn how to maybe speak to people in a certain way, how to do a certain kind of work how to lead in certain kinds of positions. And just on the basis of that, I came into a place where I was more deliberate about the work I was doing. I was already thinking about what my essays were going to look like by every work I did. Now, eventually after the whole year was gone and I had done some deep work, this was when I did the work on Damara. This was when I went to my degree. This was when I, I um, did the UN training. This was when I went for my first World Bank IMF meetings. So I'd already done some stuff. Now, it was time to apply. I kept again second guessing myself that it's not for people like me. I don't have this. My results are not that strong. This and this. Basically, I was giving myself excuses why I will not be selected. And then, the day the application was going to close, I was in the office and I'm like, cool, let's see if I can give this thing a shot. And then I opened the application paper and then I started typing the essays. In fact, one of the essays, I finished typing it. I sent it to a friend to help me edit and send it back. This person was in Canada. So by the time zone was a problem. So by the time they were getting to it, it was almost the close of this stuff here. So I couldn't even get their feedback. I just submitted what I had. It was one of the essays that I wrote that was less than 200 words or something that was supposed to be almost 500 words. But just because I had had that year to basically work at some things, think about some things, and of course with God, the grace of God had sent out everything, I pushed the application. Before I knew what was happening, they reached out to me for an interview. The day I went for the interview, I had an incredible experience. Let me not take too much of our time. A lot of that experience is on one of the YouTube pages where we had like an interview. It's called Scholar's Diary. If you check some of the videos there, some of them have very detailed um, explanation of basically what went down. But the whole point was, uh, if you are listening to this podcast and you think that you, can, you should apply for that scholarship, but then you are the same person telling yourself that 
you should not apply because it's not for people like you. You're not smart enough, or you don't have the result, or you don't have, or you're basically second guessing yourself. It might not even be the shipping application, it might be any other application you are having to put in there, and you're second guessing yourself every week, every step of the way. This is my word to you that it's a problem that intelligent people have. We second guess ourselves a lot. So shut it down. Apply for what you have to apply for. Push it through. By the time you get in, you are going to feel like an imposter. That am I supposed to be here? But by the time you mix with these people and you see how ordinary some of them are, then you start getting the confidence that yes, I'm really supposed to be here. Oh, I belong in this class. Oh, I'm extraordinary too. And I, I feel like that was my experience. And right now, there's... I, I know that maybe I've not tried but in there, but there are times where I feel like there's nothing I cannot do simply because I'm also there, like I'm also extraordinary. The experiences of my life have also shown me that I too can be extraordinary. So yes, I think that this has been a life-changing experience for me. Mm. Wow. I like the fact that you said, if you are single guessing yourself, you said it's a problem that intelligent people have. So right now, yeah. <laughs> if I'm going to second guess myself at any point or in any journey, I'm just going to say, ah, since you're single guessing yourself, because that's what intelligent people have. That's the problem for intelligent people. So just go ahead and do it. Yes. <laughs> just makes so much sense as to how you, you actually frame this whole situation. Because, ah, that's really nice. And at and I like the fact that you had mentioned that it's impacted your life journey really well, you know, and it means that even though people are actually extraordinary, they're also ordinary in their own ways. So there's no big yeah. deal. The world is just waiting for you to, yes. to share your gifts with them, for you to blossom and for you to just be you. Most times, just being authentic and doing the things that you actually, re you actually really love goes a long way than trying to be to prove that you are something else. Yeah. So you've shared a lot about your challenges. So I'm not going to ask you, I used to ask this question in my podcast, if there's any time you feel that anything before. Yeah, you've shared a lot about it. So there's no there's no need there's no need for me to ask you that question again. So there's no need for you to ask me that question again. So you've shared a lot about that. But in ending this episode, if there's one thing you would be able to tell your younger self what would that be? Like if you should go back in time and you want to speak to your younger self, what would that be? Yeah, so if I was saying this to my younger self, I would say one of the things that you learned very early in life is the need to be consistent. And you've been consistent in many things through your life. But one of the things I think that you should have done better is to focus. Like if this is what you want, focus on it and don't be distracted by other things. Now, one of the biggest challenges in life for any successful person is that there'll be multiple opportunities that will be pulling you in different directions. So for example, if you say you want to focus on fact checking and you have opportunities that are paying you a lot more money in business, choose where, where you want to be and focus on it. If it's fact checking you want to be, focus on it. If it's business you want to go on, go for, focus on it. Just trying to do everything is good. Is a problem that multi-talented people would naturally have. 
but you have to be able to say no to some of the good things in your life that you may focus on some of the things that mean more or matter more for you so um you know how is often said that good is the enemy of great once you have once you're in a position where you are when things are good you're comfortable you would almost be complacent and not think about what can be greater and that's a problem that you would face once you begin to climb the ladder of success a lot of things are going to seem good that would pull you in many other directions i would say that one thing i maybe wish that i had done more earlier it's still something i struggle with today this focus choosing what to focus on and staying at it even if opportunities come from places where you are not focusing on but that would derail you from the things you are supposed to focus on i don't know the, the words to particularly use to explain this best but yes consistency and focus will take you farther than you can ever imagine it might not be fast but it will be far thank you thank you oh my god thank you so much thank you so much for sharing funny thank enough you. i had i had great a great time in this conversation it just made me i was just flowing with the full conversation and you might like the fact that you poured out and you shared every single thing and it was not we're not really struggling or anything so thank you so much for pouring out uh, yourself, sharing your experiences with everyone with me i feel like it's a first and learning learning curve this conversation is beyond the interview itself it's also me relating to my work i could see so much experience so much of the things that you said and how you relate to what i'm currently doing allowed me to see things from a different perspective allowed me to actually value what i'm actually doing and you know just really pumped me and gave me more clarity on what to do so yeah thank you so much this is me saying thank you i don't know about other people <laughs> other people i want to actually be journalists so they should they should listen so if you yeah. if you if, if you listen to this to this to the end that means yeah good gym so if you listen to the end and the real g yes and the real g <laughs> so if you listen to the end if you want to connect to our guest speaker i'm going to link his social media and his preferably his linkedin twitter and also his instagram is your instagram locked or is it accessible <laughs> because you don't really post all for like yeah, that instagram is okay. It is okay yeah i don't know all my social media are all okay. my social media accounts are okay so i'm going to link all the social media accounts in case you want to reach out to him send questions and and everything we look forward to hearing your feedbacks and your comments about this particular episode and i i am optimistic that you're actually going you you have enjoyed this episode that's the reason why you're actually listening to this point so thank you so much for sticking with us thank you so much for being here don't forget to share this episode with your friends and family members and everyone around you and people that you know that have a passion for storytelling are interested in actually you know sharing sharing stories of people people that are trying to navigate their their life and everything in between and like our speaker said today don't second guess yourself you're actually an intelligent person go for what you want be focused and be consistent in actually all you do and you see things working together for you so life is a journey so take it as it is so yeah thank you so much